Hello, I'm Somi Aryan. I'm the founder of Fempeak, a platform where visionary women come to gain live access to global leaders, learn about the macroeconomic landscape, and stay ahead of the curve. This year, I plan to spend more time covering topics around Web3, decentralization, crypto, NFTs, and the metaverse. I've been interested in the blockchain space since 2018 and began buying and trading crypto quietly since early 2021. And that was in the heat of the pandemic, as I was increasingly concerned about the economic status of the world. Fast forward to now and I'm actively learning and educating everyone around me about the next generation of the internet and the role that cryptocurrencies and NFTs will play in it. That's what I will be discussing with my guest on today's podcast, Shira Stember, COO of Stickadoodle, a cool startup working on the cross-section of NFTs and the future of ownership. They're using blockchain technology to build a data economy that protects user privacy and distributes value to all stakeholders, including the data owners. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Shira Stember. When we were having the conversation about you speaking on some of our events, I remember being really, getting really into what you were talking about. It was so interesting. So let's rewind a little um, for people who don't know anything about you and the background of why you're here. Can you talk a little bit about who you are, the company you work with, and um, the things that you are interested in and you're working on right now? Sure, yeah. Um, so I'm Shira Stember. I'm currently the COO at Snickerdoodle Labs. We're a startup. We incorporated in May of this year. Uh, we closed our initial funding round, our seed round in June. Um, and we're like inching towards our closing our next round of, of financing. And really um, for Snickerdoodle, we're we're really thinking about how can we think differently about how the internet works today. So we know that data is an extremely valuable resource, but currently individuals don't have control over their data. The experience now is you go on a website, you accept cookies, in ex- which just like gives you a better experience, but you are not aware of what's being tracked and, and your behaviors and the data you're creating and, and who you are is, is exposed and being used by uh, you know, the companies that you're agreeing to get those cookies. And so, you know, there's been a lot of recent news stories. I mean, and this is, I think has probably been something that has been thought about for a very long time around how there's just like a lack of trust in terms of not knowing where your information is going. And so we really feel like there's an opportunity to leverage NFTs um, in a way for individuals to own, control, use, and monetize their data So really it's thinking about shifting data ownership um, away from companies to individuals um, to allow individuals to have privacy and control over the the content or data that they're creating. So like every individual really is a content owner and should be able to control that content that they're creating, which is their data. Um, But also like if we're in work creating tools to allow this to happen, but like if individuals are given the the proper tools that there's an opportunity to really monetize their data in a way that's of interest to them so they can opt into different things. For example, you you could choose to share something with one party and share something else with another. You have ultimate control. You would understand what those rewards are and how you would be compensated. Uh, But really there's an opportunity also for businesses. It's not just about disrupting an industry. It's about really realigning incentives. So 
um, by doing that and protecting data, have individuals control, but sharing what they want and knowing what that looks like, it allows businesses and enterprises to think differently about their advertising and marketing structures. It could be much more hyper-targeted and also because they wouldn't necessarily need to um, take ownership of individuals' data, there's a huge privacy regulation component that can be solved using NFTs. And that's really what we're doing at Snickerdoodle. In terms of like my background, what I'm doing here. So, you know, we're very much a startup. So it's very much startup vibes. Like, you know, it's like all hands on deck. Everybody, you know, no one's been in these roles before. The business hasn't existed that long. Um, but really what I feel like I do every day is just work to build the company I've always wanted to work at. So, and really to me where that starts is just building a team and a culture that I'm proud of every day, that the choices we're making um, as it relates to our finances, being responsible with every dollar that comes in and thoughtful about that now and giving us you know space to grow, but also around the people, the team, the hiring practices um, and the way in which we work together. So wanting to just set a, a tone for you know how I want to go to work every day. And, and really, I don't even think of it as work. I think of it as like, we're here just like really wanting to make this happen because we all believe in it and we're working together. And that's super inspiring to like have so much passion behind it. But prior to this, I was working at Citi, uh, Citibank on the global brand team focused on brand innovation. And I think there are a lot of um, I learned a lot about just like how we can think differently about the tools and resources we have, how we can be more creative, like innovation really flourishes when there's some constraint put in place because you're forced to be creative. Like if you had everything at your disposal to do everything and it was like unlimited, you can really get kind of like lost in, in the potential and all of the different choices you can make. But when there's some sort of constraint, whether it be financial or time or, you know, there's many different things, that's really where it gets interesting. And really the like key to that is just people wanting to work together, being open and transparent, building a culture of trust and TBD on like how that's working. I think it's working well. And you can ask some of the other people on the team, but like really it's just about keeping everybody in the know giving everybody an opportunity to share their ideas, to uh, recognizing that everybody has value to add to what we're doing. There's so much that still needs to be defined and creative work that needs to go into our product that we really just need add in kind of like their ideas of where this could go. Like, what do they want this to be? Like everybody is, has, you know, an ownership stake. And so that's kind of the the background. I learned a lot of that from from City and just trying to navigate a, a corporate environment um, and really trying to be creative about that. Um, but the other component is also having some social impact work tied into it. So it's not, you know, this is like our philanthropic arm and, and this is our for-profit, you know, arm, but like really like it's all working together. It should be all working together. It's not one or the other. It's both at the same time always thinking about it, always wanting to like be collaborative and move things forward in a way that's positive for like all stakeholders, whether it's, you know, employees, investors, uh, future customers, clients, my neighbors, my community, my cities, country, like the world, the earth, you know, just like how can we feel like we're, you know, truly being good corporate citizens. And so learned a lot of that from city. Um, Prior to working at City, I was home with my kids for five years. So I have three kids. And I think, like I say, like two and a half of those years were like amazing. And two and a half of those years were really hard just because it's a really hard job. And I was trying to figure out kind of what my next move is professionally and, and trying to navigate that was was really hard. I can get into that more later if you want. But um, 
that's yeah, like definitely. a really tough spot. Yeah. I think, I think that's, like, yeah. that's an important thing for, you know, when we talk about um, women in uh, business and technology, you know, there's always that component of, especially for those who have children, it's fascinating to me, the differences in like so many women uh, go to have children and then they, they never come back. And that's yeah. pretty sad. Um, and uh, it's sad for the bigger picture of, you know, the, the business impact, but, you know, it may be yeah. a good choice for them. Um, so yeah, it's a difficult one. Okay, so we will get into that. But uh, let's now talk a little bit about the core business, like what you said about so you're going to be uh, uh, using NFTs to empower people who spend time on the web to yeah. monetize and take control of their data. Okay. Yeah. That's um, like, there is quite a lot to unpack there because yeah. NFTs are so new, Web3, you know, all, all these, there are yeah. so many new things to, to get your head around. So most totally. people right now think of NFTs as some JPEG that they are spending a yeah. lot of ETH on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so tell so let's take a step back for people who don't know who are like getting into this yeah. first time. So let's start by what are NFTs, non-fungible token tokens? What what are they from your perspective? Um, you know, other than what people generally know of the JPEGs pixelated that cost a lot of money. So can you define what are NFTs and then what role do you see? What are some of the roles that you will see they will play in this decade as in this yeah. new era of, um, of business and technology? Okay, so what are NFTs? NFTs are non-fungible tokens. Um and really what that means is that there's um, scarcity. You can't exchange them. It's not like um, where if you had a $1 bill and a $1 bill, it doesn't matter which $1 bill you have. Non-fungible tokens means that there's something unique here and something unique here, and you can't necessarily exchange them one for one. So um, the other thing that to me, what becomes really interesting around you know blockchain um, is the, the provenance of it. So being able to see the history and I'll get to why that makes sense for our business is being able to see the history and track it. And I think that that becomes important, um, at least in this like initial use case, when people are thinking about NFTs as, as art or digital collectibles, it really started as this like academic exercise, which to me became compelling because of the provenance component, being able to like trace back the history um, and have it be verified on the blockchain of a digital art piece to the original creator. And you know, even in the concept of NFTs, there's smart contracts, which will allow you to program within the NFT what the royalties are. So if I'm an artist, I create some digital art, I create it as an NFT, I can be compensated on the first sale. I can also have it programmed. So in any secondary or third or fourth or fifth sale, I can also be compensated because um, that's built into the contract. That's, I think, probably like the use case that like hooked me where I was like, okay, well, that's really cool because I'm into artists being compensated for their work, right? Like 
I can relate to that. And, you know, my background is not in blockchain or NFT. So this, the last seven months has truly just been like a learning experience, both just learning so much from Jonathan and Alex and Atticus on the Snickerdoodle team and, you know, the rest of the team and the advisors, but also just like of personal interest. There's just a lot of cool stuff going on. And so really just spending so much time reading and digging into certain things. But I think that was probably the first thing I thought about where I was like, okay, I like that. That makes sense to me. I like, I want to support artists in that way. And it also makes you think like, okay, well, the current process in like, you know, normal world where an artist sells their physical piece of art, and then that's it, right? That feels like kind of a bummer now. What if they sold it because they needed something early on? Just whatever. So like, I like bought into that use case. And I felt like that was like a good shift and a productive shift and a positive shift in like how our world works. That was like my first hook. But like, really how we're thinking about NFTs is like still being able to think about the like fundamental technology, but it's not about digital collectibles or art for us. It's truly about the, the tech and being able to demonstrate ownership and having control and ownership over you know, certain pieces of, of content. And content really for us is, is data, is your identity, is who you are, it's how you're behaving. Um, and, and you should be able to control what you share and when you share it and by having ownership over somebody, something and having ownership over that data and content, this technology allows you to do that in a safe and secure and private way. Um, the best example that um, also made sense to me kind of like in having like an analogy to like, you know, our current world is uh, you go to a bar. They want to know, at least in the States, that you're over 21. They don't care really what your name is. They don't care where you're from. They don't even really care. I mean, they don't care. They shouldn't care what you look like. Like it doesn't, it does, they don't even care what kind of form of identification they're showing. All they want to know is that you're over 21. But when you show your license or a passport, you're exposing to whomever you're showing it to a lot more information um, than you need to. And so for us, it we're thinking about NFTs in a way where like if if the bar or you know restaurant wants to know you're over 21, they can get a verification that says, yes, she is over 21, she can enter. Um, they don't need to know anything else. And I can share that information with the bar. So like it's allowing like to have these like um very specific use cases to to share things, to get things that you want, to gain access. To things that you want. Um, and so when we think about compensation um, as it relates to sharing your data um, and how NFTs could be used, it's not just to get a digital collectible or a JPEG or a picture of a cool cat. I mean, those are cool things too, but like really it's like a much more future focused um, uh, angle in that like you can have access to things. You can become part of a community if you agree to, if you want to buy this NFT, it will give you access to this community, whether it's on Discord or in real life. Um, it will allow you to do certain things. It, it becomes this like single sign-on control where you're sharing and interacting in a digital way, and but it's private and you understand what you're doing and what you're getting for it. And so you have so much more control. It's just a very different mindset 
than how we experience the internet today. Um, and that I think is what is really exciting to me. There's still so much to explore and create and build. And a lot of what we're doing at Snickerdoodle is based on being collaborative and having partnerships and integrating with other players in the space. And so, you know, you know our, our roadmap, like we're really excited, like stay tuned in Q1. We're like really looking forward to having some like um, some like great MVP, um, launches, but like a lot of this is dependent on like, what are the needs of our partners? What is their community community saying? Like that will dictate kind of like our order of how we're rolling out certain things, because it's going to take a lot of time and it's going to take a lot of integration and collaboration. And I think that that also is just like a fundamental component of the industry that I'm really excited about, that everybody feels collaborative, it feels cooperative because there's so much opportunity to create and build. It's kind of like, okay, if everybody's here and into it and they believe in like at least the potential of the tech, that's like really good vibes. And let's figure out ways for us to support each other. How could what we're doing at Snickerdoodle support another partner? How could another partner support us? Let's experiment, let's innovate, let's try some things. If it doesn't work, no problem. Let's not do that again. Let's just try something else. That to me is really exciting. So that's yeah. like a little, that's like, I think to me, like how I learned about NFTs and feels like a, a starting point to, to understand what this is, but you know, it's, it's endlessly creative of what it could be, at least in my perspective. Yeah, no, super interesting. So um, I have a few questions. So one of the things I made the note here, you said that let's go to the, to the example of the um, age uh, confirmation thing. I, I understand that you don't need to show more data than, um, you know, that they need to only be able to verify and that you're 21 or, or over. My worry with this type of fractionalization of data is the loss of context. I, I can see this being playing in two ways or in multiple ways. It's like anything else. It's always like you, you gain something, you lose something. Um, it's always like that with technology, right? With, with everything in life. Um, my worry is that it can really help um, something like machine learning to fractionalize data because it will enable um, access to different parts of data. And then, uh, you know, it, it enables, uh, you know, uh, the, the learning to happen in a way that may be less complex than if you had a ton of different things going on. However, the real world is very complex. You know, I studied complexity theory when I was when I was doing my masters, and um, and I'm super interested in it. And I think I'm I'm worried about one of the ways in which we may potentially end up uh, losing context. And one of the things that um, makes us so um, makes us human. You know, I, I wrote a book called a Career Career Fear and How to Beat It, and it's about the future of work. And in that book, there's a chapter on contextual creativity. And where in that chapter, I'm, I'm explaining one of the ways that we are different from machines. And one of the ways that humans can still have something uh, to offer in an age where machines are doing everything uh, is our ability to see the full context and to uh, draw conclusions 
um, and, and create stories based on those contexts. So uh, it just was, I just found it a bit alarming thinking of the loss of context there. Do you have any thoughts on that? A lot of my day when I'm talking to my team is like, what could go wrong, right? Like, how could this be misused? What are our standards as an organization for what we want to do and the decisions we're making? I don't have a background in ethical AI or machine learning, but I do have standards that I believe I want to be associated with just as a human and how we should treat others and how we should behave as humans to each other and, and wanting to be, you know, enter into things with positive intentions and try to leave places um, better than how we found them. And like, just having this like, very optimistic, positive take on how I want to, you know, live my life in my community in real life, but also what I want for um, how our products are built. And, and so a lot of how, like, it's always like, well, how could this be misused, right? This is new. We're making choices for how this tech is building and, and kind of what our standards are um, as an organization. And so in terms of having context right now, blockchain and, and it's totally anonymous, but it's all open. I think that it's more providing more context and more owner. It's not to allow people to um, hide behind their identity and, and operate um, or, or misuse in some way. It's just trying to have an experience that, that actually is more thoughtful, um, that is more verified and validated and um, there's a lot of talk in the space around like having like a trustless environment and, and trustless really, it needs like a rebrand, but like ultimately like trustless is like at a higher level than, than just saying like, you can trust us. We're good people. Like trustless means that like trust is no longer part of the conversation Equation. because that's, it's fully embedded in, in the tech. And, and if you believe in the tech and how it operates, like you don't even have to think like, oh, is this like a trustworthy interaction like that's just how it works now i like my depth of understanding of like the complexity of ai machine learning and how you would you know you know fragment the data and in your concern about context like i just like feel like i like can like scratch the surface there but i i'm i'm less concerned about that because i think ultimately we're just trying trying to have a better experience between humans and wanting to be more connected cross border. So like crypto and blockchain, this is like global. This is like trying to have this like universal language and economy for us to all connect and to provide opportunities for people in ways that didn't exist before. It's still super early. There's still so much onboarding of people that need to come into space to add in their ideas and their thoughts. But like, you know, just the, the vibe of like, we need everybody, like all hands on deck. Like you have a tech experience, great. You don't, great. Like everybody needs to come in, provide their their ideas around what this could look like. But like, I don't really think of it as, you know, trying to like fragment or segment, but, and I, I'm not as worried about the loss of context. I think that it's the opposite to some extent. I think it will just like allow for like a more um, seamless experience that I, I think in my perspective will allow for more creativity and more context and, and and more innovation. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm I'm super personally, I'm super interested in this space. I always consider myself somebody who is pro-technology, but at the same time, as a tech philosopher, I have to always think about um, how it could um, not necessarily how it could go wrong, because going wrong is a um, relative term. 
it could yeah. go wrong for certain people in at certain times but on uh, you know for example you could say that the invention of the fueling mill which was like a machine where they put it into the water in in, in the uh, river and it it would basically go around and around with the power of the water and then it would wash people's clothes right and that replaced people going into the river to actually wash clothes with their feet right so you could say that that was that went wrong for the people who lost their jobs you know who made money from washing other people's clothes but it was a giant step towards today's washing machine right right so so what my kind of concern is and what i'm looking at is I can see the bigger picture of where that going that's going and the washing machine and I'm so happy that I have a washing machine but at the same time I call myself a transition architect as like somebody who is able to see what happens during this transition and how many people will be affected and how they will be affected and you know and and to make sure that um, people understand you know, I'm not necessarily say that, saying that we can solve all those things, but I want to make sure that people understand where we're going and they make an active uh, stance and, and become an active participant so that they can, they're not a, a passive um, observer. But we have that uh, opportunity more so now as we are going to Web3 than we did with Web2. Because with Web2, it was really, a bunch of people who were building those and then you know there, then there were uh, a bunch of big corporations that became the found the founders and then the owners of all that data whereas with web3 we have an opportunity and i just want people to not sort of sit back and watch um but actually try and take a active stance and and think about what this means like you know tokenization of our data fractionalization of our data and uh, you know and and what that means just really quickly I mean I think like I haven't read your book but now I'm like very curious because like I think the future of work conversation becomes really interesting there's always like this fear that like robots are going to take all of our jobs and we're going to be totally useless like wandering around with like no um passion or mission or whatever but like that's not how I see it at all it's really just like a shift like if we can improve it then it like it unlocks more like there's more questions now unlocked like yeah. I have more questions now that I've spent time in the space than I did when I first started and I had a lot but of that's questions. because but but that's certain but that's because you took an active stance you yeah. became part of so what I talk about in my book is my worry is for the 90% of people that I think are not going to you if you think about what happened during the COVID, um, you know, during the pandemic, the first week of the lockdown, um, Netflix subscriptions went up by several million, you know, and that goes to show the majority of people are going to use their time, you know, um, uh, to just be observers, just, you know, like, I, I don't want to get my date, my, I don't want to get my education about, um, artificial intelligence from a Netflix, um, uh, you know, TV series, uh, like, 
was that Black Mirror or whatever. I didn't even watch it. I haven't actually watched, I haven't watched Netflix for more than two years now. Or like Netflix, no TV series, no movies, nothing. Yeah, so I, I'm on, a, on an abstinence from uh, uh, entertainment right okay. now. But, uh, you know, but, um, but what I'm trying to say, and okay, I know that I'm the extreme, right? I'm not saying everybody needs to be that sure. extreme. But um, my point is that 90% um, of people are likely to not have much to do. You know, right now, there are, uh, there are about 11 million uh, job opportunities in, in technical uh, areas that there are not enough people for it. You know, and uh, by, um, by 2030, we are looking at around, you know, 70, 80 million uh, these types of opportunities that we are not gonna have enough people yeah. to fill right so so um, i guess um, i just want to throw in those yeah. thoughts about you know the loss of context the loss of so yeah. one one of the things that i talk about in the book is that you need to have several technical skills you know and then in addition to that you then need to develop these human skills that i call you know uh, like critical thinking contextual creativity um, you know, emotional intelligence and mindfulness. And by mindfulness, I don't mean sitting there meditating. I mean, active participation, yeah. like being present, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's go back to the NFTs because um, I have a lot of questions around that. So, so tell me a little bit more about how does your data become NFT and how do you then take control of it? Before you start talking on that, I wrote an article about COVID-19 and the future of business technology and democracy. And in that article, I gave this example of how our data being used. So it's kind of like we all have an oil well in, our, in the backyard and that's our data. And we don't know how to mine it ourselves, okay? Um, and then Zuck comes and says, you know what? Uh, I, uh, I see that you have this oil in your back, backyard let me help you mine it and I will give you something for it, right? And then he takes our, uh, our oil, mines it, and then sells it, right? And then we get like the equivalent of maybe some bread. Whereas, so when you talk about NFTs and being able to, you know, monetize your data and, and have ownership, it makes me think like that we are going away from that model of giving our, oil to Zuck and, and uh, you know, uh, Larry, you know, and all these, these guys, you know, and, and say, uh, no, thank you. I can mine my own oil. Is it like that? Yes. Okay. So like data is like the most valuable asset. That's why those companies are so successful is because they have access to all of that data. Yeah. Um, so we really are thinking about a, a shift in ownership of that data. That's exactly what Snickerdoodle is doing. We're building the tools to allow you to do that. So like both to be able to, you know, think about like, it's not like an active thing where an individual would need to say like, I need to create an NFT for my data. Like from my perspective, what we're doing at Snickerdoodle, a lot of it is behind the scenes. Your experience of the internet today is still your experience of the internet. It just will have other additional tools that will allow you to do these things, that will allow you to feel protected and have ownership and see the data you're creating and see where it's sharing and see what kind of rewards or compensation um, or connections you can make by sharing that data. The intention 
is really to have a user experience that is clean and simple and easily understood. There's a lot of things about the digital experience today that are amazing, right? Like just we're able to do this, right? Like that I'm able to work all day long from my kitchen and be as productive and effective and have all the tools I need. I don't like if I wanted to write something with a pen, like I don't even know where a pen is. I don't need a pen, right? So there's a lot about like what we're doing today that is amazing. It's not trying to transform our experience today into something that is totally new. Like maybe it goes there, but that's, you know, our vision isn't this like dramatic, crazy new experience where everybody has to fully understand the, the backend technology of what this all is and NFTs and all of that. It really is, that's really the explanation we have to share with people in the space now to share with our investors of what we're doing because there's a need to understand that like fundamental technology in order to demonstrate what our vision is for the user experience on the road. But for a user who's like onboarding, like their experience is gonna be like, I'm gonna have a Snickerdoodle account that I own. I will be able to see clearly like all the data I have. I'll be able to easily say like, yes, I wanna share that. Yes, this is where I wanna share. Like, obviously that's like very MVP first stage. Like we have like a more complex structure that we're building towards, but there isn't a need for like, um, for this like, you know, depth of technology in order to do what we're talking about in terms of the data ownership and the privacy and the control and the monetization of data. Like all of that is really behind the scenes. Like really what we're doing is just creating the tools to make it easy for individuals to do that. And so, you know, just like connecting this point to the last conversation around the future of work, like, yeah, wonderful to have tech skills. Like that's, we need more people with, you know, tech skills, but like tech skills is really also just like communication. It's a way of thinking. It's a point of view on the world. It's a vision. And like, from my perspective, what's truly needed in the space right now is like, we need people with like a lot of like communication skills. We need people to be able to like, keep trying to explain this technology in a way that allows people to understand it, that it gives people an opportunity to hook in, that inspires them. That's like, like that takes them away from just like, well, I guess watching Netflix all day and motivates them to be like, wow, like I could do that. That's missing. I feel like I could really make an impact here. Like, where can I offer my, my skills? Like, what can I, where can I start? How, like, what question, like, just start asking questions, just start reaching out. Like there's so much work to be done. And a lot of it is not necessarily around just the tech. Like that's obviously. That's the contextual creativity. That's what, like, it's understanding. We need people, yeah, to like bring it in and, and speak in a language that is universally understood. Like that makes sense, that resonates, that allows people to click. I think even in talking to friends and family, when I first started with Snickerdoodle, it was like, I kept trying to like, I was like, how am I getting at this? How do I boil down what I'm doing in like a quick, succinct way? It's really hard. It's really complex. Um, And it's different for people. So it's kind of just like, keep trying. But at some point, we're going to keep trying and experimenting. And we're going to get to a way of communicating that's going to be like, I understand what this is. I really like it. I want to be a part of it. How can I help move it forward? And so like, there's a huge opportunity also to like think along those lines outside of tech. Yeah. Okay. No, super interesting. So you said that you didn't have a background in it. How long did it take you to uh, really get your head around the technology? 
I don't think I have my head around that technology. It's like, I don't think I'll you can't, ever have like, like, I don't think you right? can like, ever, like, because it's moving so fast. It, it, it's like, that's not even like a goal because no, like you, you learn, like I learn every single day and, and you, yeah. and then like, a new layer opens and, and then, you yeah, exactly. It's like, it's endless to me. That feels like really fun and exciting because yeah. like, you just kind of have to settle into it. Like I know as much as I know, but also it's a confidence in like saying, I also have like a lot of questions. And if there are a lot of questions that are bubbling up, that just means that I, I actually am pushing things forward, that I do have some level of expertise, maybe like my levels can keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper, but just being able to generate a question and say like, how does this work? What does this mean? What's the like nuance to this? Like, how could this go wrong? How could this be misused? What are the choices we need to make? What are the standards that are part of like some sort of regulation as it relates to privacy, but like also what are our standards as an organization? Like, where do we draw the line? What makes sense to us? How do we want to, like, there's an endless amount of questions. Like, so I don't think I'm ever gonna have my brain wrapped around it because it's constantly evolving. I'm also super inspired by that. That's really fun. Um, and also just, it allows everybody to just like be in it. Right. So there's so many different things going on. Anybody could start at any point and I could be like, whoa, what is this? I've never seen this before. This is really interesting. Could this, if this connected with this, is there something there? Are these dots connecting? Should they connect? Can I help them connect? Um, even if it's not specifically related to snickerdoodle, it's kind of just like, I see things happening and I want things to get together. And that feels really cool. Um, but when did it click? Um, so Mike Tedasco, who's an advisor at Snickerdoodle, he is head of innovation at PayPal. He's been uh, a mentor in my network for a number of years. Um, and he reached out um, early this year and said, would you ever wanna uh, you know, join a, a blockchain startup? These are like reasonable, good blockchain people. Like, what do you think? And I was like, I don't really know that much about blockchain. I mean, I've, you know, as much as any normal person, like I've read it a little bit, but um, why would, what could I do here? And I was like, can you just send me some podcasts or articles um, to help, you know, narrow down what's going on into like what you think the team is thinking about. And I'll tell you if I think it's interesting. And I just like had like a whole weekend of like binging, like podcasts, reading articles. And what uh, was the, what was the one that really kind of hit home? There's so many. I mean, like Chris Dixon, who's a you know a, a partner at Andreessen, is on the crypto team. Just like breaks things down in a way where my it it's like that like brain explosion emoji, and it's like over and over and over again. Where you know it's just a way of thinking about how the world can work, right? So if you have a desire to have an impact and, and feel like you're moving things forward in, in, a, in a positive way, you know, for yourself, like however big you want that to be, like you can apply that thinking um, in whatever magnitude. And that's how he's approaching this. And, you know, I listened to one of those podcasts and I was like, I mean, is this what this could be? Like, it just was like a flood of like, is this direction, is this possible? Is somebody already doing this? Like, am I having new thoughts or is this already happening? Like, could this happen? It's like, and then it was just like talking to the team like that, like 
just asking a lot of those questions. And I think it's just, you know, having somebody come in, like even now, if somebody were to approach me with like a bunch of questions, 99% of the time, I have never thought of those questions. And that's so valuable, right? Like, let's have that conversation. That's so interesting. Why do you think that? What has your experience been that has like caused you to then have that question? Like, how could this be incorporated? Like, that's the need to like have all of these like diverse perspectives and have a lot of different people from a lot of different places, not necessarily like it doesn't always have to be diversity of background. It's just like you have, you're a different person than me and you're thinking about things differently. And how could that help make this go in a direction that feels really good for both of us? Yeah. Um, so like, I don't know, I like went down the rabbit hole, but like every day I like could get sucked into like Twitter being like, wait, what's going on? Like, what are, what are, what are these people doing? Like, how is this different from this? Like, what does this new chain do? What's this function out? Like, I mean, it's, it's endless. Our office is closed next week. And my plan is to just like find some cool stuff that, you know, sparks my attention and just like dig in and try to like play. And that's really fun. So. Yeah, I know it's, it's, there's so much, yeah, there's so much going on. And I, I mean, I don't need any entertainment because I, I just consume so much, so many books, so many, um, you know, yeah. podcasts about the topics uh, that we're yeah. discussing. No, super interesting. Okay. So now last question, let's talk a little bit about your journey as a mother coming, yeah. you know, taking a break, then coming back. You know, how did you find your way back into where? So you said that prior to city, you had the five year off, right? Yeah. So, so what were you doing before that? Yeah. So, um, I, I've been in New York for like almost 18 years. I came here after college for work. Um, I went to business school at NYU and then was working at American express, um, in there. Uh, I started out as a finance intern in their, it was called American express interactive, a digital department, and then moved into marketing. Um, worked on the Costco card when it was with American Express and in their small business division. Um, so like very corporate, like um, it was a great experience, but like I, you know, while I was there, um, had, went on two maternity leaves, I had two kids and it was just, I mean, it's, it's hard to try yeah. to like balance all that. And I felt like I really wanted to be with them. And I felt lucky that I have a partner that supported that. And the intention wasn't to, you know, really take five years. The intention was to just spend time with them and feel good about that and enjoy those moments and appreciate the time with the kids. And then I had another kid, so I have three kids. Um, and then it was like, I was just in like, I mean, it's just, and they're all really close together and it's just a lot of work. It's so much work. Like, and so two and a half years around like around two and a half years, I was kind of like, I need to figure out like, do I go back part-time somewhere? What am I going to do? Like, I don't want too much time to go by because I don't want to, um, you know, I still have like, was still very close with my um, friends and network from business school and would see what they were doing and was still very much inspired by the work they were doing. And I really felt like there was something, I really just wanted to feel productive. I felt like I could do more. So then I started just doing like a lot of volunteer work, um, did some like consulting projects. And I was like, I really just want to find something where it feels like I'm, I'm really having an impact. And I don't just want 
it's not just to have a job. It's to really like feel like I'm making a difference somewhere to really feel like my I'm contributing um, and that I'm excited about if I'm, you know, it's a lot of logistics to figure out how to like transition out of that. Uh, and it was really hard. It's really hard. What's the right role? Like, how is this all going to work? Like, how am I going to commute? How am I going to navigate it? Like childcare and um, it's complicated. And there are some like really hard, dark moments. Like, why isn't this working? Like, what, what am I looking for? Like, how should I readjust? Like, what's my narrative? How do I explain this? Like, you know, and I think I started off trying to shield it a little bit. Like, no, I've actually been really productive. Like, you know, I was involved in the PTA. And then at some point I was just like, this is the hardest job I've ever had. And there's no, what's the, like, I'm proud and lucky that one that I'm able to have a family and live in New York and have a supportive partner. And, and I think I am a better person in the way I think and how I operate. And um, I think as a mother, it starts to become, you need to be really efficient and you need to see any roadblock up ahead and try to avoid it. And I mean, that, that way of thinking is, it's a skill, a huge, it's a skill. And it's a huge part of what I do every single day. I move things out of the way. I see things that the rest of the team doesn't see. I need to stay ahead of them as much as I can to allow them to build the product and the tech and to fundraise and to be able to do that as fast as they can without any of the roadblocks that, you know, you would see, you know, building a startup. Yeah. And so that way of thinking is a hundred percent because I was a mother, 100%. I, I feel it. I, 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 I know how I thought before that. And I know how I think now, and it's just, it's a different way. And so, yeah, like, so it, it was hard, but I think it also just, it's, it's extremely valuable experience that, you know, I'm proud of, and I openly talk about, and I love talking about because I think it just shows like resilience and, you know, happy to talk to anybody about that, but it is also really challenging. So, you know, talking to people and, and being a mentor to others who are thinking about like, what, how does this going to work for me? Like, do I take time off? You know, I really like say like, you should really think about that because it's really hard to get back. It's really hard to navigate out of it because our society isn't fully set up to make it easy for you to do that. I'd love to do a session on FemPeak just on that because I think that's yeah. such an interesting topic. And um, so, okay. Now, uh, I, I am so happy that you did come back because your, your skills, your abilities, you know, as a mother, as a, um, as somebody who has had to, like you say, think, uh, you know, uh, of so many things ahead of the, the game. Those are really important in uh, the tech environment and in a tech startup. So uh, I'm sure that your, your colleagues really appreciate that too. That's why they uh, offered you that, right? And they were like, you know, would you like to come and join? So, so people can see that. So I'm so glad that you did come back. And uh, I think this is a good place to bring the conversation to an end because um, we leave it on a positive note that, um, you know, yes, it's hard. It's doable. It's not for everybody. I decided not to have children. I just can't do it. I don't know how you do it. I can't. Like I'm one person with two kittens. You know, I, you know, the kittens are so much work. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know how you do it with children. It's very, very hard. I couldn't do it. But uh, I take my hats off to you and anybody else who who can do it.
Thank you. Thank you so much. That was that was really inspiring, and I'm sure uh, you know people would really enjoy it as well. Thank you so much. It was really nice chatting with you. Happy to talk about that more. If it could provide any sort of guidance or value to anybody else, like I mean, that just makes me feel good and and happy to do that as much as possible. Of course. Yeah. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Shira Stember. Be sure to check out sneakerdoothelab.io to learn more about what they're up to. Subscribe to the Somi Aryan podcast on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, or any other one of your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to give it a five-star rating and write a review. Finally, if you're not yet a member of Fempeak, head over to fempeak.ai, register, and join a community that actively supports women's professional growth. 